Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. To have Kelly on the worship team with us this morning. Thank you, Kelly. And Connor, thank you for sharing her with us. We appreciate that. Great to see you all. Um, Happy birthday, Gary. 84 years, I understand. Good for you. And uh, it's so nice to have John and Renee. I don't know where you guys are. There you are back there. They're uh, North Sound family folks who uh, are um, remotely connected from Southern California. Uh, we love it when, uh, when you guys can, uh, can get up here. And may the Lord bless you. Uh, anybody watch any baseball yesterday? I mean, seriously, did anybody watch any baseball? Yes, okay. Yeah, there are, there are a few. I think there may have been more in the first service that I actually watched. Um, I was watching the game at home, and uh, we had um, the uh, Festival Eucharist, it's called, at Holy Trinity Edmonds, our church plant. So I went over for the service. It was an hour and a half long. And um, because we don't have the Pac-12 network, and I'm a Husky fan, um, I went to an, a local establishment that I thought, might have the game on, only to discover that um, the baseball game was still on, and it went on and on <laughs> and on. <laughs> and uh, it, was quite a, it was quite a time, wasn't it? And uh, the disappointment that we had, I kept hoping, you know, it was the bottom of the inning, come on, somebody hit something. Um, but alas, we did, we did good. For a guy that doesn't like baseball, um, we did, we did really good um, to go through the Toronto and then on to this level. Uh, who knows what next year will, uh, will hold for us. So, and the Huskies uh, won too. How'd the Cougs do? Not so good? Okay. Sorry, Coug fans. Um, so, um, we were chatting, um, elders, this week, and we decided um, with... Uh, for a number of different reasons that we are actually going to punt our week of prayer that we were going to have, uh, I guess it was next week, a week from now, um, and plan to reschedule that in early in the new year. However, having said that, um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray, okay? So we encourage you to join us in prayer. Uh, we really need it. Um, I was thinking as Pastor Allen was praying this morning, the the, uh, the, 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 the expression, come Holy Spirit, is something that should be uh, on our lips often here at North Sound Church. And indeed, that's what our, our talk is going to be about this morning. We're going to talk about God's presence and power in our lives. And this series that we are going through is a series that has to do with the values of North Sound Church. And one of those values has to do with the person and work of the Holy Spirit on a number of occasions, I had an opportunity to meet some very accomplished people. Uh, around the time of Hurricane Katrina, some of you know I worked in New Orleans, and uh, after some initial failures uh, by the leadership of the federal government, Admiral Thad Allen was given responsibility for managing the response to uh, to the hurricane. And uh, little did I know that shortly thereafter, Thad Allen would become my boss as he became the commandant of the Coast Guard. So my job was deputy chaplain of the Coast Guard for reserve matters, and I reported to Admiral Allen. He signed my fitness reports, and uh, he was an amazing, uh, amazing individual. 
Then, uh, while I was still working with the Coast Guard as a Navy chaplain, Navy chaplains look after Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard, and uh, while I was uh, still with the Coast Guard, we had a conference back in Washington, D.C., and were privileged to host Richard Foster, who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline. And Celebration of Discipline is sort of a, a standard primer on, uh, on the spiritual life, on spiritual practices. And so it was, uh, it was a privilege being a part of the leadership to have dinner with this esteemed uh, gentleman who had written so much about, uh, about uh, the work of God and uh, spiritual practices. And then... Um, I've also shared a number of times probably the story of uh, working 9-11 at the Pentagon and World Trade Center and flying back with uh, Admiral Barry Black, who was the chief of chaplains. We went back in a a little Air Force Learjet together, and I had a chance to see him up close and personal and discovered him to to be a very articulate uh, man of God. And after he finished his Navy career, he went on to an appointment as the chaplain of the United States Senate, where he serves now. I have to say that each of these people were impressive in their own ways. And in our society, we, we value folks like this. We value folks who make a difference, who are accomplished. But we also esteem those who are bright and intelligent and good-looking and influential and outgoing. It seems to be part of what our culture values. And yet, as we look at the scripture this morning, we see that these attributes really do not describe very well the first followers that Jesus called. Paul writes this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. When our son Ryan was nine years of age, he seemed to have grasped this truth somehow. He had one of those profound mother-son conversations, and she asked, uh, he asked his mom, will I look like you when I grow up? And, and Barb rather flattered responded, would you like to? And he said, no. (laughs) And she asked him, would you like to look like daddy? And he said, no. And so Barb asked, well, who would you like to look like? And Ryan answered, I just want to look like a regular person. (laughs) Not sure where that leaves us, Barb, but... (laughs) Acts 1.8 was addressed to regular persons. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In this passage, we're confronted by a group of regular people, ordinary people. Much like us, they came from a variety of places in society, but as Paul said, not many not many wise, not, not many powerful, just kind of regular people. And it was interesting to me in their normalcy how when it came time to replace Judas as a disciple, they cast lots. And I've never quite been able to understand these early spiritual leaders casting lots to discern who should be the replacement for Judas as one of the twelve. 
But they had this promise, and the promise was that the Lord would send his spirit, and they would have power. They would receive the presence of God in his Holy Spirit, and they would have power. And I think, friends, that over the years, we've been a lot like the 120. We have walked with Jesus, as they did. Uh, We've had relationship with him. We have prayed for his power in our lives. From time to time, we've had showers of blessing. We've had those moments where God's presence feels very real. He feels very close to us. But then there are those times, I think, in the lives of most of us where it feels like we have an unintentional umbrella and showers of blessing may be falling around us, but we don't seem to find ourselves getting wet. As we've talked about themes in the book of Acts, I want us to notice that in Acts 1, there were people who were waiting on the Lord. And then in the next chapter, we read about something wonderful, something that had fulfilled God's promise for them. In Acts chapter 2, we see that promise fulfilled that Livy read a part of the passage for us this morning. This is a chapter, or a chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in Acts chapter 2 here, we see the Holy Spirit falls on the group and they're filled with the Spirit of God. That's God's presence. And then shortly afterward, Peter is now preaching to those that gathered. You remember there was a commotion on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, and they heard these guys speaking different languages that were familiar to them because Jews from around the Mediterranean had come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So there were all of these languages, and now they heard the gospel coming out that way, and Peter collected them together, gave what was apparently an amazing sermon, and 3,000 of these Jewish pilgrims were added to the church that day. That's the power of God. So the book of Acts is a description of God's presence and power the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So we speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we put the Lord, Jesus Christ, into a different category. We see him as being fundamentally different than us because he was God. And as God, he's just different. And so when we look at his example in the scripture, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, but he was God, right? But it's an interesting thing when we look at the scriptures that we see that Jesus in Philippians, we read that he emptied himself. It's kind of like a bathtub curve where he came down from heaven, sacrificed what he was in that environment, emptied himself, came down to be with us, died on a cross, and then was glorified and went back up to be with the Father. Now, we want to be careful theologically because technically he didn't give up his deity. But what's interesting is that Jesus seems to have functioned as a spirit-filled man. I want you to notice as we move through the scriptures here 
how often Jesus was filled or empowered by the Spirit in his ministry. So the angel spoke to Mary at the time of the conception of Jesus and said this in Luke 1.35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary experienced the presence and power of the Lord, and he was conceived, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then look at Jesus' baptism. Again, we see the link up with the Spirit in Luke 3.22, where you remember the voice of God came, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the presence of the Holy Spirit was there in that instant, if you remember, in the form of a dove. In Luke 4.1, we see that Jesus returned from his experience in the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit later, we read that he came back from his temptation. Remember, he was 40 days in the desert fasting and being tempted before he began his ministry. And the scripture says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's important, I think, for us to understand then that as he went into the synagogue, beginning his ministry in his hometown in Nazareth, this was the beginning of his ministry, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he opens the scroll and he picks this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it begins. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. He knew God's presence, and that presence empowered him for the mission to which he was called. Yes, he was the Son of God, but we see he continually functioned as a Spirit-filled man, and that possibility is open to us as well. Even as we follow the example of Jesus... We can also follow his example of being people who are full of the Spirit. This was so clear in the developing church. Peter, along with 120, were filled with the Spirit at Pentecost, and then Peter reached out, and again, 3,000 responded to his altar call. The question may be, so this was 2,000 years ago, why do we need the presence and power today? I've shared with you in the past some troubling statistics about the life of the church today and the number of people that are either putting on their survey forms that they have no religious affiliation, they check the nun box, and we call them nuns, and then there are those who check, uh, well, they don't actually check the box because it's not there, but in their lives they live out a check in the box that says they're done with the church. And, and that has sort of rapidly escalated through the time of COVID, the numbers of people that have decreased their engagement with the church. At the 1992 World Pentecostal Conference in Oslo, World Pentecostal leaders said that for the first time since the Azusa Street Revival, the Pentecostal movement had declined. 
Christian leaders in New Zealand spoke of a post-charismatic dilemma. They had lost their hunger for God. David Barrett, editor of the World Christian Encyclopedia, shared that after the last 30 years of evangelism and mission activity, we've not made much inroads into the dark domain of Satan. The engine of the evangelical movement is there, but the fuel is missing. We're seeing powerful things happen around the world in South America, in Africa, in Asia. But we so desperately need the power of God in Europe and in these United States. North Sound Church needs the presence and power of God. You and I need the presence and power of God if we're going to see this trend turned around. So what can we do individually? What, what is within our power as individuals and as a congregation? It, it's simple, really, and the answer is don't let this move of God pass us by. We need to enter in. You may ask, how? How do we enter in? The Bible gives us a pretty clear answer. It says we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not too long ago, I chatted with a friend who has a ministry working with people who have addictions, drug and alcohol and other kinds of things. And I asked him, what was the secret to success? What seemed to differentiate success among his clients? And he said, those that get better have a real profound experience with the Lord that is a life-changing encounter. A woman tells the story of how, as a girl, she was poor. She said, I grew up in a cold water apartment. But I married a man who had money. He took me up to a place to live where I had flowers and gardens and grass. It was wonderful. We had children together. She said, then suddenly I became physically sick. I went to the hospital, and the doctors ran all sorts of tests. One night, the doctor came into my room with a long look on his face and said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your liver has stopped working. I said, doctor, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that I'm dying? And he said, all I can tell you is that your liver has stopped working. We've done everything we can, and we haven't been able to start it. And he walked out of the room. She said, "I, I knew I was dying. I was so weak. I had to feel my way along the corridor to the chapel in the hospital. And she said, I wanted to tell God off. I wanted to say, you're a shyster. You've been passing yourself off as a loving God for 2,000 years. But anytime anyone begins to get happy, you pull the rug out from under them. I wanted this to be a face-to-face telling off of God. And she said, just as I got to the center aisle of the chapel, I tripped, I swooned, I fainted. And I looked up, and there scrolled along the step into the sanctuary were these words, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. She said, I know God spoke to me that night. I know he did. She didn't say how God communicated to her, but what he said was, you know what this is about? It's about the moment of surrender. It's about bringing you to that moment when you will surrender everything to me. These doctors do the best they can, but they can only treat. I'm the one who can cure you. And she said, with my head down 
and my folded arms in the center of the chapel repeating, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. She said, I surrendered to God. I found my way back to my hospital bed, weak as I was. The next morning, she said, the doctors ran blood tests, urinalysis, and said, your liver started working again. We don't know why. We don't know why it stopped. We don't know why it started again. And I said in my heart, but I know. God's brought me to the brink of disaster to get me to turn my life over to him. Friends, no matter how long we have served the Lord, there's a need for continual surrender. We're not to get all worked up about experiencing the fullness of God in our lives. It's not something really that we strive for. We need to relax and let the Holy Spirit do the work. He wants willing hearts. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 is a profound passage, and it's one of those occasions where the Greek helps us. The Greek here is in the present tense. The passage says that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek helps us in that it's in the present tense, which means keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time encounter. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's in the passive voice, which says, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. It's not a striving, it's a surrendering. And then it's in the imperative mood, which makes it a command, be filled. So a more literal translation would be continually allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. In Acts 2.4, we see that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In Acts 4.8, we see that he spoke, filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, in 4.31, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. For Peter, it was an ongoing experience. Needs to be an ongoing experience for us, too. And again, we don't need to strive. We just need to surrender. When Scott was a baby, he had surgery at Northwest Hospital and Barb and I talked with a staff member about the anesthesia they use for little ones, and we were told about the mask that they put on and how sometimes people fight the mask and how important it is for them to surrender to the mask, to surrender to the anesthesia that is coming in for their welfare. In the early 90s, I was assigned as a chaplain to a Marine EA-6B Prowler Squadron. And in order to fly, um, I had to do aviation physiology and water survival. And aviation physiology involved a number of things, but it included being fired in an ejection seat trainer and also uh, going up in a high-altitude chamber to experience hypoxia so that you would know what it was like if you were flying and you started to lose some of your basic functions. They did that by having us do pat-a-cake with each other until it didn't work very well anymore or write our names and you began to see how you were losing function. But what was particularly interesting in the water survival course was that we had to swim three lengths of the pool with helmet, flight suit, and boots on and three different strokes each length of the pool. And when we were done, we had to tread water for something like 15 minutes. 
And I learned an important lesson that those of you that are swimmers already know, and that lesson is that lesson is that you need to surrender to the water and allow the water to hold you up. If you flail around trying to keep yourself, your head above the water, you completely lose your energy with really bad results. But if you allow the buoyancy of the water to hold you up, you surrender to the water, you can survive. John Powell is a priest whose writings may be familiar to some of you. He tells how he used to carry his mom up and down the stairs of their home in Chicago. He said she would grab onto the banister while I was carrying her up and down the stairs and hold on so tightly we couldn't move. I'd say, Mama, you have to let go of the banister or we can't move. And she looked at me with her plaintive little eyes and said, I'm afraid you'll drop me. And I'd say, Mama, I'm going to drop you right now. When I count to three, I'm going to drop you. And then she would let go and we would go two more steps when she would grab on again. And friends, I I feel like if we're honest, this often describes our relationship with God. This morning, we need to just let go and let God fill us with his spirit. We work hard. We strive to have him do something in our lives. But he says, let go. Let me do the work. Surrender your life to me. This morning, in the days ahead, may I encourage you to intentionally Say, come, Holy Spirit, in your own life, in the life of our congregation. May you continually allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. May you relax in his presence and expect to receive something from him, recognizing that the presence and power of God come not from striving, but by surrendering. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, in these times in which we live, how much we need your presence and your power. Lord, we realize we can't do it on our own, whatever our intentions may be. And so I pray for family of God at North Sound Church, for your church around the world, that we would open ourselves up, that we would surrender to you, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to fill us and find the joy and the empowering that that brings for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.